0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. We have been taking Romans. uh, We've been going through Romans, and we're in this little section of chapters 9, 10, and 11. We've been taking chapters 9, 10, and 11. We sped up a little bit one chapter a week and then we're going to slow down when we get into 10 or 12 excuse me 11 12 13 14 and 15 so we're on chapter um 11 i i was listening to another pastor talk about this week and he pointed out that when he was studying for it and and looking at how other pastors treated it a lot of them skipped chapter 11 in their sermon series and a lot of the commentaries are like this is really like tricky to understand what this chapter says um, which is hard. We're not going to skip it. We're going to take it all at once. And actually, I don't think, in hindsight, um, I think it's asking a question that, that encompasses so much of, of what the message of the Bible is about and what it means to follow Jesus. But I'm going to read the entire chapter. So at the beginning of a service, we normally read the passage. You stand. I say, This is the word of the Lord. You say, Thanks be to God. It's a way of acknowledging his word. I'm going to let you sit as I read all of chapter 11. You're welcome. And, um, and so I'm going to read and preach a little bit um, at the same time. If you have a Bible, open it to chapter 11 of Romans. If you have an app, open it to chapter 11 of Romans, and um, it'll help you to, to follow along. So, Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected his people? That's a big question. A hard question. And Paul's answer is, by no means. And he's going to give four explanations of that. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. One. Two, God has not rejected the people whom he foreknew. Two. Three. Do you not know that scripture, what Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That was three. Four is so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So God didn't reject his people. What then? Well, what happened if he didn't reject his people? He says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest of Israel were hardened. As it's written in the Old Testament, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And again, as David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall. All right, why did they fail? Paul again, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to the Gentiles, inasmuch as much as then I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered first fruits as fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree... Don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Well, then you'll say branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith and don't become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? I think Paul's given him the business, just a little bit. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you at one time were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So, in Romans, um, the first five chapters generally are what God um, has done for us by the work of Christ. It's the gospel and how we've been rescued from our sins and the consequences of our sins by the work of Christ on our behalf. Chapters six through eight generally are what he is doing right now—the process of sanctification, how he's conforming us to the image of Christ, how the Spirit is at work in us, and um, and about the gospel again. Chapter eight is just a is just probably the most unbelievable chapter in the Bible, if there is such a thing, where it starts. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus; like no reason for us to be condemned. Only affirmation that that He has for His Son Jesus, because he looks at us and sees the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so we have affirmation. And we have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us right now, in this room. and we've been adopted into the family and we're children of God because of the work of Christ in our behalf. And at the end, he ends with five rhetorical questions in chapter eight of like, what can separate us from what from God's love for us? And absolutely nothing can separate us. It's unbelievable, the end of chapter eight. Then in chapter nine, it's almost like he takes a step back as if somebody asks, well, what about the Jewish people? Because they were God's elect, and they were chosen, and God loved them like their children, but now they're rejecting Jesus, and so he's, they seem to be at odds with God. And so what what happened there? Um, and 9, 10, and 11 are addressing that question. 9 ended up being a lot about the, the, um, the biblical doctrine of election. 10 ended up being about, <clears throat> like, what it would it's just, we have a decision to make about what we do with Jesus, that is how it comes across to us. And then 11, he returns to that question and asks, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected his people? And that's a, a huge, huge, huge question. Maybe not a bigger question. So God has made a covenant with the people of Israel. And it happens back in Genesis. So just a little Bible stuff here. Abraham is the beginning of the Jewish people. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And um, Israel's problem in a lot of ways is that they forgot that all the families of the earth were going to be blessed. They remembered that they were going to be blessed and just thought maybe it stopped there. But that's the plan. And, uh, and so, but it takes Abraham 25 years even to have a kid, to have the family get started. And so there are times where Abraham's like, God, what are you doing? You know, and in Genesis chapter 15 is one of those moments and God comes to him and makes a covenant with him. Um, how do we make covenants today? What do you need to make a covenant? Need a lawyer. How many lawyers we got in here? We're not going to crack on lawyers today. We got some lawyers. You need a lawyer. When you, make it, when you buy a house, It's for whatever reason, the bank doesn't even have to show up, right? But you've got to go to a lawyer's office and sign approximately one million pieces of paper. You have no idea what any of them say. You could have just given away your first three children, and you wouldn't know it, right? Um, you know, but, but that's how we make a covenant. In their day, what they did is they would, they would take animals... And this is a known thing in, in the Near East. Like, they would take animals, cut them in half, and walk through them. So it would be like going to a lawyer's office, but they got a petting zoo in the back. So we need a goat and a chicken and a cow. Cut them up. And then you and a representative of the bank hold hands and walk between these cut-up animals. Like, in their blood, as if to say, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, or you don't uphold your end of the bargain, may we be like these animals. That's how they made a covenant. And so God comes to Abraham and says, cut up the animals. And Abraham's like, okay, I know what this is. Cuts up the animals. But God pulls a fast one on him. And before Abraham could walk through with God, he puts Abraham to sleep or in some sort of a trance. And so Abraham sees the smoking fire pot, which represents God walking through these animals, which is to say... God is saying, if I break my part of the covenant, may I be like these animals, but if you break your part of the covenant, may I be like these animals. This is an unbelievable thing, and ultimately points to Jesus, because we don't uphold our part of the bargain, but God takes the hit on the cross with Jesus. It's unbelievable, Genesis chapter 15. Paul is asking, did God keep up his part of the bargain? Wait. Um, I got, I almost showed a movie clip. I haven't done that in like 10 years, but how many of you remember the movie Armageddon? How many of you have never seen the movie Armageddon? Because it's old. I don't watch many movies, so I don't have good movie clips. And I thought about this one because there's a scene at the end where Bruce Willis says goodbye to Liv Tyler. You know what I'm talking about? And my wife and I were dating at the time, and she cried. And I made fun of her for years about that. She's not here this morning, but I told her I was going to make fun of her again. But, but it gets me a little bit, too. The scene right before that, the premise of Armageddon is that an asteroid is going to hit the planet. And so they send up Bruce Willis and his mining crew to the asteroid and land them on it. And they're going to drill down and put a nuclear bomb in the asteroid, blow it apart, and it's going to miss the Earth. And so they get up there, and they have some problem with the mining gear. I don't remember. And so somebody's got to stay on the asteroid and drill it down and put the nuclear bomb there and set it off themselves. And the other guys are going to go back to the planet. And it's Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck, who's in love with Bruce Willis's daughter, who's Liv Tyler. And Ben Affleck is going to be the one that does it. And so they go down in this little space elevator thing. And at the last second, Bruce Willis, they're saying goodbye, and Ben's like, tell your daughter I love her, and then, and then Bruce Willis takes his air tank off, shoves him back in the elevator, pounds the thing, and says, I got this. Your job is to love her now, and studly thing, you know, and, and then they take off, and Bruce Willis is left on the asteroid. Paul is asking, what if Bruce Willis, like, lit up a cigarette and said, suckers, now we're all going down, and the asteroid hit the planet, and we're all dead. Like, that's not a good movie, right? And this happens in so many movies where what happens is one person sacrifices himself on behalf of everybody, which is the gospel, and it's all over the place because it's in us. And and Paul is asking, did God hold up his end of the bargain? Did he come through? Will he come through for his people? Will God come through for, is God going to come through? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted the first parts of romans and that god needed to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself because you got a sin problem that you cannot fix wretched man that i am who will set me free from this body of death thanks be to god christ jesus our lord there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and so i'm going to give my life to him and try and follow him when you follow him you trust him and you trust him with like lots of stuff in your life and so if you're following jesus how often do you ask the question is god going to come through how often do you ask that question? A lot. A lot. I'd argue if you're not asking this question much, you're not following Jesus real close. It's just kind of how it goes. And the more closely you follow Jesus and the more stuff you surrender to him, the more often you ask this question. Where you think, God, man, I've, you know I've given my... I prayed for my kids. What's going on with that? I married the person that you told me to marry, and this isn't going the way that I thought it was going to go. I've trusted you with my finances, and I can't pay my bills. I've given you my relationships. What what are you doing with my health? Um, I'm trying to... to Do my job as unto the Lord, but it's just not. I'm this dead. I don't even know what's going on here. Is God going to come through? That's the question Paul is asking. There's there's a handful of sermons in chapter eleven that I'm going to go down some rabbit trails and come right back. I just can't do it. But, but that's the question. What is God up to? And specifically in this case with the Jewish people, can I trust God? There's not a more important question in the Bible. Is God Will God be true to his word? Is God faithful? It's the question from the beginning to the end. So at the beginning of this chapter, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has God failed Israel? And here's, here's the first point I'm going to make. I'm going to make three points today. The first one I'm going to make is don't avoid hard questions. And that's as hard a question as you're going to find. Is God trustworthy? I think sometimes we feel like we can't ask those those questions in church. Like this isn't, is God trustworthy? Can I ask that question in church? But apparently you can because Paul put it right here in the Bible. Like I feel like I may have lost a few years of my spiritual life when I was in college um, because I didn't think I had a place and a people to deal with my hard questions. And I probably did, but for whatever reason I didn't think that I did. And so I let those questions get the best of me instead of coming right at them. Um, I remember a pastor in Atlanta named Andy Stanley listening to him years ago say, he said to his congregation, if you think you've got questions, I've got bigger questions. Because I've thought about this stuff more, and I've studied it more, and I've got more, like, resting on it. Like, this is, you know, this work is how I provide for my family, and my ego is tied up in this thing in some ways, and so I've got bigger questions. And he ended up saying, he ended up saying this, don't let the unexplainable get in the way of the undeniable. And I'm gonna come back to that at the very end. Don't let the unexplainable, because there are a lot of unexplainable, get in the way of the undeniable, because God has made some things undeniable. Ask the hard questions. I try to go to the youth group once a year and tell the youth leaders, let these let the let the students write whatever question they want to on a note card anonymously and then just give them to me and I'll sit in the front of the room and try and answer those questions. I ain't gonna be answering all their questions. You know what I mean? some questions, like, just don't have answers that we can comprehend. But I want them to know God is big enough for your questions, and it's okay to ask the questions, and it's normal to have doubts about this stuff. And I tell them, if you're not asking hard questions, you're not thinking hard enough about this stuff. Because you try and follow Jesus, and hard things, hard questions are going to come up. And and the hard thing, the real fear, is that you'll come up with a question that's big enough and an answer unsatisfactory enough that you'll wonder if God is even there, and you'll walk away from the whole thing, and then what are you going to do? But if he's not big enough for your questions, he's not God, so bring on your questions. Did God reject his people? Is the whole Old Testament a farce? Is God somehow a fraud? That's the question. And it's a fair question to ask before you give your life to him. And if you, can't, if you can't get yourself to ask the hard question that's there, what you're going to end up doing is playing games with God. You'll pretend to follow him, but you won't really give him much. You'll show up here now and again, but you're not really trusting him with the big things in your life, and you won't give your life to him. And Paul has the courage to put the question right there in the Bible. Okay, ask the hard questions. Here's his answer to that immediate question, his four-part answer. Has God rejected his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people? He says, no, I am myself an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm now a Christian. He didn't reject me. That's answer number one. Two, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. This goes back to chapter 9. And that, that there are um, Abraham's descendants, but there are physical descendants and spiritual descendants. So he had Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was a physical descendant, but not a descendant, a child of the promise. And um, Isaac was a child of the Isaac. Isaac was a child of the promise. And so Ishmael became a whole different group of people. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the child of the promise. Esau was a physical descendant, but they ended up becoming the Edomites in the Bible, not the Jewish people. So there's a difference between physical and spiritual descendants those whom he foreknew, he did not reject those people. Three, do you now not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how Elijah appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and at one point he has this Awesome scene with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. There's hundreds of them, and they have this contest about whose God is really God, and, and Jehovah God, the Israelite God, comes through. But then, then Elijah ends up on the run from Jezebel, and he ends up in the wilderness, and she's trying to kill him, and he just has a moment, you know, where he's like, Lord, I'm the only one left. No one believes in you but me. Where are you? Like, you ever have a moment like that? Come on. You have a moment like that? Um, I was on the phone with Kelly the other day talking about church stuff, and Gene was in the background. How old is Gene? Two. Two. Man, he was having a world-class meltdown. <laughs> I mean, world-class. I think that was Jordan. What? Maybe been Jordan. Was it Jordan? They all yeah. Kelly, to her credit, was like, you know, you can go ahead and do that, but it's not really going to help. And that's kind of what God does here, like, all right, Elijah, got it. And he says, his replies, is, I've kept 7,000 men for myself. It went about about the need to bail. Like, I got this. You know, it's going to be okay. You can relax, Elijah. Uh, and so that's answer number three. And then four, so too at the present time, Paul says, there's a remnant chosen by grace. You don't know who they are. But there's a remnant, and if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And so has God rejected his people? I kind of think that we can get, we kind of are this way, as the church in America, like, what is going on? Like, what is God doing? Is God even there? Because the church, by any measure, is in some decline. And and things are crazy right now in our culture. Like, like crazy. And I think what's happening is the culture is eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, going back to Genesis. And we're finding out that that's not really a good idea, but some lessons you got to learn on your own, and that's just what's going on. But it hasn't happened in the same way over the last 200 and whatever years, 50 years. And so the church is like, what, you know, what is going on? Like, God, where are you? But God knows what he's doing. And like there is a pendulum swinging, but it's gonna swing back. Like the Bud Light thing that happened this summer is the culture kind of saying, okay, enough is enough already. I read an article the other day that said in Britain the gender war is over. It was in the Atlantic. Right? I didn't see the article. I, I listened to someone talk about it, where even the far left political party in Britain has withdrawn their full support from gender ideology because they realize it's doing harm to kids. Like it's gonna come. Truth is truth. And I think God, in some ways, is saying, like, stand your ground, but relax a little bit. And the church is exploding around the world. Like, it might be having troubles here in the United States. I read the other day that 50,000 out of 700,000 mosques in Iran have closed in the last few years. Almost 10% of their mosques. And the people, I've heard this for years, because there was an Islamic revolution 40-something years ago, and they realize that's now failing them. And so the church in Iran is growing like crazy. That's mind blowing. The church in China, 40 or 50 years ago, was a million people. Now, by most estimates, it's over 100 million people. And it's illegal to be an Orthodox Christian in China. Like the churches, the state sponsored churches are like, like World War II in Germany before, before the war, like the Nazi sanctioned churches. It's kind of what China has with their state sponsored churches. But the underground church is the church that is just exploding. The church is exploding in Africa. God knows what he's doing. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. Hey, God's, there's a remnant. God's at work. You might not see it. It's okay. Those are Paul's answers to the question. Now, did Paul give good answers to the questions? I mean, I'm still a little confused. <laughs> like, they're good answers, but I can't say. It still kind of looks like God rejected Israel. I don't know what happened there, what the promise was, how they misunderstood it. I don't understand what's going on. And so here would be the second thing I'd see. Be ready for answers that are more complicated than you want them to be. Ask hard questions. Be ready for answers that are more complicated than you want them to be. Can I get an amen to that? I said this a few weeks ago. I say this maybe frequently. We've got two and a half pounds of gray matter between our ears, about the size of a Big Mac, with which to understand a God who has created trillions of galaxies. If you and God play chess, who's going to win? I'm putting my money on him every single time. I think he could even be AI at chess. (laughs) Paul goes on, okay, what then? If he hasn't rejected God, what's going on? And and here's his answer. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect, the spiritual descendants, obtained it, but the rest of Israel were hardened. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is a rabbit trail. I'm, not, I'm just going to edge down and come right back. But Pharaoh, like, Pharaoh hardened himself against God, and then God hardened his heart. And I think that's how it works. And this is what he's saying happened with Israel. I'm not going to spend time there. Um, but then what he's going to do in the next 16 verses, verses 11 through 27, he's going to repeat something, for a pattern, four times. So this is the pattern he's going to repeat. Israel rejects God. That leads to blessing for the Gentiles. Israel then experiences a renewal, and then the whole world is blessed. Now, in the next few minutes, I'm going to go over this and kind of show the pattern. Um, You kind of have to trust me that it's there. Uh, What's important is that it's there, not necessarily that we understand it or even see it, but it's there. Like, this is what Paul is saying over and over and over again, and then within that, he's going to have a couple things that he's going to say. So this is He says, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? No, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. God has a plan. God's plan won't always or often or ever make sense to us. And that might be the hardest thing about following Jesus. But Israel's rejection of the gospel led to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are anybody that's not ethnically Jewish, which is most of us, would be gentiles in biblical language led to our acceptance of the gospel the church started in jerusalem after jesus rises from the dead day of pentecost peter preaches thousands of people come to faith in jesus they're mostly jewish because it's mostly jewish people that are in jerusalem um and that makes sense because when God called Abraham, he said, hey, I'm going to work with you for like 1,500 years so that your family and your people understand who I am, they understand their need for Jesus, they have an expectation of the Messiah, and then through that, I'm going to let the Messiah and the blessing of the Messiah go to the entire world. That's God's plan. And so it makes, start, it makes sense that it starts with the Jewish people. But Jesus said at the end, go therefore and make disciples of, of not just the rest of the Jewish people, but all the nations. And that's like similar language to when he says to Abraham, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Go and make disciples of all the nations. He told his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem city, Judea and Samaria region, and then to the ends of the earth. But when the church started, they got really cozy in Jerusalem um, for about eight chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, It's primarily Jewish people because that's what's in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, they uh, they met day by day in their houses and week by week in the temple courts. Um, they had all things in common. They shared all their stuff, and they sang kumbaya every night around a campfire. This is what it says. Uh, and then and then Saul, who is Paul before he becomes Christian, was a Jewish guy that starts killing Christians, and they kill S- Stephen, who's one of the disciples, one of the early Christians. And it says, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Where Jesus tell them to go? Jerusalem. And he said, then Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. But they stayed in Jerusalem, and what did it take for them to get out of Jerusalem and go to Judea or Samaria, but for the Israelites to reject the Messiah and boot them out of Jerusalem? That's what it took. Uh except the apostles, and then down a few lines, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Israel's rejection of the gospel led to the Gentiles' acceptance of the gospel. And that's the pattern in all the cities in the early churches um, that are founded in the book of Acts. Now, did God have to do it that way? I don't know. Um, But it looks like if all the Jewish people had just accepted Jesus in Jerusalem, they'd still be singing Kumbaya by a campfire, and we never would have heard about Jesus because they would have just stayed there. And so there's some of them rejected Jesus, and because of that, the gospel went to the ends of the earth. Israel rejects God. This leads to blessing for the Gentiles. And then the pattern, Israel experiences renewal, and the whole world is blessed. I can see the first two steps. I don't know about the next two steps, and it's been 2,000 years, but this is what he says over and over again is going to be the pattern. Now, if their trespass, so just hang on for the next few minutes, okay? If their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? That's the pattern run its course one time. It's got four times. Second, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as when I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. In order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them, that would be step three in the pattern. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And here's the third run through the pattern. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This is where he's given in the business, and he's going to stick with this analogy of an olive tree for a few minutes. And the olive trees are super common over there. But if some of the branches were broken off, So it's a Jewish olive tree, and some of the branches, Jewish people, the Israelites, reject them, they're broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in, and that's us Gentiles, and this is, you can legit do this, you can break a branch off of a tree and put it where another branch was broken off of another tree, tie them together, and they grow together. Learn something new every day, that's it. And uh, and they can do that, and that's what he's saying has happened, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Don't be arrogant towards the branches. He's saying, you were grafted in, and you're looking at those branches on the ground and saying, ha. And he's saying, don't do that. Um, And he gets into a warning here that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but it's a whole sermon on its own. And he's got some Jewish and Gentile people in this church, and he's managing some tension, but the Gentiles are starting to think, look at us, we're so great. And Paul's going to say, that's what got Israel in trouble in the first place. And if you're not careful, you're going to end up in the exact same place that they were where they thought this is only about them and it's not a blessing that's supposed to flow through them to everybody else um, and they get passive. And so this is my third point. Once you start thinking you've got God figured out, get a little nervous because you've probably just gotten lazy and stopped trusting him um, in ways that he wants to. Um, And we end up starting to think, God loves me more than he loves them. Whenever you start to think that, you got it wrong. And I think, I think you can make a really strong argument that that's happened in the United States with the church over hundreds of years. And that's part of the reason that we're in the problem that we're in, because we started thinking we're God's favorite. And it's just not how it works. So if you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you'll say branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so don't become proud, but fear. Um, And I just, you got to love this, I think. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you either. Note then the kindness and severity of God's severity towards those who are fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. There's a whole other sermon here about eternal security that I'm not going to give you today. And he closes this argument. Otherwise, you two will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will only just say a word about that sermon. It would go to the book of James, where James says, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my works, because faith without works is dead. And true saving faith is going to have some works. And that's what Paul is, in essence, is saying here. Otherwise, you two will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? In the pattern of Israel rejects God, Gentiles accept God, Israel has a renewal, and the whole world be blessed. That's number three. He's suggesting that Israel will have a renewal. Um, and And then he repeats the argument the last time. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel... Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, in this way all Israel will be saved, as it's written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish all ungodliness from Jacob. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Again, I don't. I'm not sure what that. I'm, we, I'm not sure what that means. You know, expect answers that are going to be more complicated than you want to have. Um, as regards the gospel, then. They are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you at one time were disobedient to God, but now receive mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy of God, mercy shown to you, they also might receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Okay, we reset the whole thing. Has God rejected Israel? Can I trust God? is God going to come through? Don't be afraid to ask that hard question or whatever hard question you have. Be ready for answers that are more complicated than you want them to be. And once you start to think you've got it all figured out, get a little bit nervous. And then Paul gets to the end of this and breaks out like in song almost. Oh, the depth of the riches And the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are the judgments of God, and how inscrutable are the ways of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from God and through God and to God are all things, to God be glory forever. Amen. Again, I'm going to be honest. I read through that chapter. I'm not exactly sure how Paul gets to this place of, like, spontaneous worship because I'm still a little bit confused about what's going to happen with Israel. (laughs) Like, the answer is a little complicated, you know? But Paul gets it, and he's at this place of, like, maybe he's at this place of, I don't even understand it, but God is just amazing. He's just amazing, and man, well, then you start just looking around at the, so many different places in the Bible. Joseph, you know, one of Jacob's sons gets sold into slavery by, they try and kill him first, and then one of them sells him into slavery, and then he gets falsely accused of sexual abuse and thrown in jail, then he gets forgotten about in jail, and then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and then he saves his family from a famine, and that takes a long time, and at the end, he's like, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good you know that's an amazing story maybe i'm just maybe i'm just too maybe this is me showing my cynicism if i'm joseph i might be like hey god i know his famine saved the family did you ever think about just sending some rain but god knows what he's doing job oh job Loses everything. His friends are worthless. God gives them the business. But at the end, Job is like, I had heard of you with my ears. Now I've seen you. I think that's probably worth a lot to take that step with God. And maybe that's the only way to take that step with God is the hard things that you have to trust him in and the answers that you don't understand. And getting lazy is like begging out of that and not trusting him with anything and just showing up every once in a while but not really trusting him. Moses, 40 years in the desert to go back and rescue his people who screwed up so he spends 40 more years in the desert. I was reading uh, Daniel this week, and there's two prophecies in Daniel that are awesome. One is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. This is a great story. No one can interpret it, so Nebuchadnezzar calls his wise men in. They're like, you tell us the dream. We'll interpret it. He's like, you guys are frauds. You, you tell me what the dream says if you're really wise men, or I'm going to kill all of you. And then Daniel, God gives him the vision of the dream, and it's a statue with a head of gold, like a chest of silver, like... Thighs of bronze and then feet of iron. And um, this is about 500 years before B.C. And then he goes and tells Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is the kingdom of gold, the medo persian is the one of of silver, the Greek one is the one of bronze, and the iron one is the one of Rome, and they're going to take over the whole world. It takes a thousand years for that thing to come true. Like a thousand years before anyone's like, oh, that's what that means. A thousand years. Like Abraham, it's bad that he has to wait 25 years for Isaac, 1,000 years. He has another vision at the end of that book where he's asking about the 70 years in Jeremiah about when they get to go back to Jerusalem. And God's like, well, yeah, there's another 70. It's 70 weeks of years, so 490 years, 82 years between when Jerusalem, is the the edict to rebuild Jerusalem gets made, and the Messiah comes. And you do the math on that? It's when Jesus is on a cross in Jerusalem. It's unbelievable. And the Dead Sea Scrolls show us that Daniel was written at least 200 years before Christ and probably the 500 years that it says it was. And God put it in there, 500 years. Like, that's a long time to wait to see how God is going to work something out. And we have a hard time waiting a couple weeks. Yes, fair enough. Maybe the longer you have to wait, the more amazing it is. And that's what it takes to get to how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable are his ways. And I don't know where you are in your life, but I know if you're following Jesus, I can guarantee there's some part of your life you need to hear about that in. Amen? The book is so simple. In, in some ways. Genesis 3. There's a, there's a, I didn't get this, but there's um in a Donald Miller book, he talks about hearing Billy Graham get interviewed by Larry King and asking him what the, after Columbine, that shooting, and what's wrong with the world and how Donald Miller just thought it was going to be about video games and stuff. And Billy Graham said to Larry King, there was a young couple in a garden and God told them not to eat of a tree. And Donna Miller says, I knew he was right. She looks at the fruit and saw the tree was good for food. It's fruit. It's good for you. It's delight to the eyes. It's pretty. The tree was desired to make one wise. And she thought, I don't know what God has against this tree. Maybe I got the wrong tree. Maybe it was a different tree. Maybe God just doesn't want me to have good things. Maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. And she took of its fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I just think we get in situations where like, I don't know, this seems like this makes total sense, and I'm not sure if I can trust God with it. Maybe he got it wrong, or maybe he forgot that I'm here, or maybe he's not really there. Or maybe he's doing something unbelievable that's going to take days or weeks or months or years or decades or centuries to work out before I understand what he's doing and why. And Paul's saying, you can trust him and you can do what he's asking you to do because his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are inscrutable. And from him and through him and to him are all things. And to go back to that line from Andy Stanley, don't let the unexplainable get in the way of the undeniable. And so we're going to take communion this morning. If you're new, we'll have a couple of people up here with the bread and the cup. And um, if you have received what Christ has done for you, and Um, The salvation that he's offered you, we invite you to come up and remember what he's done for you, that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. And this is the undeniable. It's the undeniable. He rose from the dead. And Paul said, "If if he hasn't risen from the dead, my preaching is in vain and so is your faith. Like it's the undeniable that God loves us. And whatever questions we have about him, we can't question his love or his power or his deliverance or his salvation because he sent his only son to come to live among us, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead to be right in the middle of the story, to hang our hats on, undeniable, because he knows there's going to be a lot of things that are unexplainable. And I might add, don't let the undeniable make you think there won't be things that are unexplainable, because there's going to be things that are unexplainable. Father, thanks for... um, Romans 11 and questions that honestly I don't think I understand because I'm not Jewish and I didn't live in that time and I don't understand totally the context of of that and I still have questions about what that looks like and and it is just to trust that you are working things out still and they might be being worked out right now in world events we have no idea God but we know because of how you've worked in the Bible we know because of how you've worked in our lives in the past. We know most of all because of Jesus that you are faithful and you are good and you love us and we can trust you. And yet, God, we get in these places again and again and again and again and again where we're like, can we really trust him? And so I pray today, for today, for right now, for whatever it is that's on our hearts and minds, whatever your spirit is speaking to us about, that our answer today would be yes. We entrust you and we're going to trust you. And whatever decision that affects, whatever relationship it affects, whatever it is, Lord, that we would step towards you in that trust. God, thank you so, that it's so much that you are a good God. Thank you that you are a big God that we can't understand. And thank you that you loved us and called us by your name and adopted us into your family and gave us the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and promised us that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.